0: So I did go hog hunting this morning, and they outsmarted me again. I did not see a single hog. I know I'm not wounded; I'm just hurt. So I love. So I've given this mission before. I don't know if y'all. Have, I don't know if y'all knew that. So I've given this mission before at St. At, at Joseph's in Rain. And I remember the second night I was given the mission. I, w- I was walking up, and this this parishioner comes up to me and says. You'll never guess what happened to me, Father. And I was like, You're right, I probably won't. <laughs> Just tell me. And he said, uh, he said, This afternoon, my wife texted me. And she said, I don't think I'm going to go to the mission. I'm not feeling too good today. I'm really, really tired. And he goes, Father, you know what I texted back? I said, What'd you text back? He said, I said, Evil spirit, leave my wife alone. <laughs> I was like, "That's what I'm talking about." That's the sermon of spirits right there. I didn't. I felt like I didn't even need to go to the parish anymore. I'm like, "Y'all got it." I mean, it's perfect. And sure enough, she actually came up to me. She actually came up to me and said, "Yes, he did. He did actually do that." So it was, that was not just a story. I was very. Uh, I was very impressed. So if y'all have any any experiences like that, please tell me afterward because that that'll make me feel better about myself. So if you're new. I do want to just kind of go over, do like a very brief review of kind of what we went through yesterday, just kind of give you an idea on what this whole discernment of spirits really is, what the topic is, and and what we're getting into. So this parish mission is, is looking to answer three questions. First question is, how do I discern a practical decision? That is like a big discussion, major, marriage, you know, just do I keep this job, do I quit this job, these little, these things, how do we use, how do we, how do we make a decision like that in a state of prayer? The other thing, the other question that we're going to seek to answer is, how do I? What do I do whenever I'm desolate? Whenever I'm dry? Whenever I'm weak? And the third one is, how do I put my place in, a, in myself in a place where Jesus can find me, where Jesus can can come and 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 give me the consolation that I'm seeking? And so the answer I would I'm proposing through this throughout this conference is the discernment of spirits, and the discernment of spirits is basically coined by. Saint Ignatius of Loyola. There have been it's 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 a tradition in the church to have done discernment of spirits ever since so even through through the scriptures so Corinthians but even into Saint a- into the early church especially with Saint Athanasius's writing about Saint Anthony of the Desert. But Saint Ignatius of Loyola I think best depicts what discernment of spirits is. And we we remember as of yesterday the way Saint Saint Ignatius of Loyola discovered discernment of spirits. Was whenever he was stuck in a tower after after getting a cannonball injury, and he was he would daydream and think about this you know running off with this girl and marrying her after after you know swooping her off her feet and doing all kind of great military deeds, even though the girl was way out of his league. She was he was lower nobility, she was upper nobility, and what he found was that after thinking these thoughts, he was left. Desolate and sad. Very essentially dry and discontent. There was an agitation there. He was excited while he was thinking about the thoughts. He, he got him going. But after after kind of abandoning this idea of going after this, this woman, he felt he felt a deep sense of sadness. Whereas, whenever he would meditate on the lives of the saints, namely the deeds of St. Francis and St. Dominic. He walked away really, really jazzed and really, really excited. He actually was left, what he, what he, descri- what he describes as, as content and joyful. Content and joyful. But he didn't notice that that was going on in his heart until his eyes were opened just a little bit. His eyes were opened just a little bit. And that came after months and months of silence and months and months of discernment. And that's kind of where the saying the, 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 the Jesuits were born. And that's whenever St. Ignatius had his conversion. That's whenever he went on to write the spiritual exercises, which is essentially a retreat handbook to guide someone on the 30-day silent retreat that every Jesuit has to do. And one of the I, I'll tell you I did one of these retreats and it was phenomenal. But the way but you'll find these 14 rules of discernment, which is this, which is the, the third page on your handout, you'll find the 14 rules. There, in the first week of the exercises, so it'll be it, it's it's kind of whenever you're first entering into all the silence that you're experiencing. It's helping you to see exactly what's going on in your heart. But I'm proposing, as in we, we you know we mentioned this in, in great depth yesterday, that there's nine principles that we need to know if we're going to understand these 14 rules. And we can see them listed in the handout. There's no neutral ground in the spiritual life. Discernment is impossible without silence. God wants to be felt and heard, and so he impresses himself on our thoughts. If we want to discern, we need to have a, the proper paradigm. That's awareness, understanding, taking action. And the action is either accept the good spirit or reject the evil spirit. Remember the types of awareness? We have the psychological, the moral, The spiritual psychological or things that depression, anxiety, things that kind of go that that are that are very effective deep within our nature. It's not something that we that we necessarily need to spiritualize. But but there are things that maybe the spiritual life might have an impact on and not necessarily a cure. The moral life is not something to be necessarily discerned with the discernment of spirits. I don't discern whether it's right or wrong, whether I should or should not steal a car. That's the moral life says, no, you don't steal a car, and that's that. There's no discernment there. You can discern whether, as St. Ignatius did, whether you go and pursue a life like St. Francis, or pursue a life like the married life after this, this woman. That's a discernment. There's nothing wrong with, necessarily, intrinsically wrong with either of these things. But but was for but that's because there's nothing morally wrong with either of these things. So that's, that's a different... That's a different category of discernment. Where That's not what we're, what we're talking about. This isn't, we're not discerning right and wrong. We're discerning between two goods. And that's what the, the spiritual exercise is here to help us to do. The other thing too. Notice, notice, notice. This separates the humans from the animals. Animals cannot notice. They don't notice. They just have thoughts. And that's that. They cannot think about themselves thinking. And so... My encouragement to you all is think about your self-thinking. And we'll get more into that and how that is. The discernment is more about the who than the what. About is this Satan speaking or is this the Lord speaking? And, and we'll get more into this, non-spiritual consolation is often a springboard into spiritual consolation. Non-spiritual desolation is often a springboard into spiritual desolation. And so those are the rule, the, the principles of discernment. The, different, the, the rules of discernment are as follows. The different movements which are causing the soul, the good to reject them, the good to receive them, don't reject the good, keep the good, and the bad to reject them, and they are more proper for the first week. Now yesterday we went through the first rule and the second rule, but I want to go over them again because they are so, so precious and they're so, so important. So we mentioned the first rule yesterday. It pertains to all those who are moving away from God. It's basically a rule that's rooted in directionality. That is, the direction into the pit of hell. And the way the evil spirit works in this is if he sees somebody going to the pit of hell, he's not going to stop them. He's not going to put up a fight. And he's not going to discourage them. He's going to act as a cheerleader. You're doing great, man. Congratulations. This is awesome. You're the man. You're standing out. You're this, you're that, you're that. He's going to pump him up and fill him with pride and keep him going to where he could fall into the chasm. But the, but the good spirit doesn't operate like that. You see, the devil's working with a man's imagination whenever he's, he's, he's going through this. But the Lord at this time is working through his conscience. His conscience. And that's what, and the Lord's going to use that conscience to bite the, the person running into the chasm. Now, I told you I would, I would give you a great example of this is the poem, The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. And I was going to read it to you guys, but whenever I went to click print, the, we, our internet was not working. So, alas, we maybe, maybe we'll get to it next time. But if you want a good English poem about about the Lord pursuing you whenever you are in sin, The Hound of Heaven is a phenomenal, phenomenal poem that explains that. This is, as Father Father Timothy Gallagher describes, not an anger, but rather a stern mercy. This is a stern mercy. Uh, Father Rafferty, he's he's another kind of contemporary of Father Timothy Gallagher, uses the image of his brother, he was at his brother for Thanksgiving and somebody, without his brother's knowledge, gave his brother's son a pocket knife. Now, parents, I mean, can you imagine like, you know, somebody, that's like, that's like rule number one you should never ever do. Just give a kid a pocket knife without telling their parents. But he did. And so the, the, his son has this pocket knife in his hands, opens it. And doesn't know what to do with it and is waving it around because he's never, like, this is a, a, whole, it's a whole foreign concept to him. And so Father, Father Rafferty's brother sees this and out of fear of his son's life and, 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 and possibly doing damage to himself, he reaches down over his son's hand and grabs the pocket knife and snatches it out right then and there. And his son immediately starts crying. That is essentially what the Lord is doing for us. He's, he's saving us from danger. He's trying to stop us from something wrong, and it'll usually upset us, makes us feel, feel wrong, when in all reality, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So the pursuit of God, whenever we're heading to the pit of hell, is a gift. It is not something to complain about, even though it might not feel great. Rule number two. This is the this is the other rule. This is the reversal of this is the the reversal of rule number one. This is if somebody is going and taking steps to heaven, and he's heading that way, then the method of two, the two spirits flips, and you have the enemy instead of cheering you on, biting you, saddening you, and putting obstacles in your way so that you can't you you don't want to continue along this path, giving you. False reasons. If you notice in the first rule, the the good spirit uses reason to talk you out of your bad decision. Whereas in the second rule, the evil spirit uses false reasons. I point this out because within the discernment of spirits, if you discern anything that is not reasonable, you have discerned poorly. That is not proper discernment. Reason goes hand in hand with discernment. You cannot come up with something that goes that stands outside of the outside of reason based on your feelings and say you've done good discernment. No, reason is a gift from the Lord and He works in it. And of course, what the the second rule is, the Lord is looking to give us strength, courage, and consolation as we are pursuing, as basically as we are pursuing heaven, grace, glory, consolation, strength—all these things. And so those are basically, in a brief review, nutshell, the principles, the life of St. Ignatius, the first and second rule. So let's move on to the third rule. Rule number three of spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement in the soul is caused through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And when it can in consequence love no created thing on the face of the earth itself. But in the creator of them all. Likewise when it sheds tears. That move to love of its Lord. Whether out of sorrow for one's sins. Or for the passion of Christ our Lord. Or because of other things directly connected with his service and praise. Finally. I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy which calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. Quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. Beautiful. Beautiful. Every time I read this third rule, I, I feel what St. Ignatius is talking about. Interior movement in the soul which is caused, to which the soul becomes inflamed with its love for creator, for its creator and Lord. And when it can in consequence love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but the creator of them all. That's it. God or nothing. That's the feeling of consolation. That's the, that's the stirring of the soul in which we're looking, we're looking for. Not simply just satisfying our, 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 our simple desires, but actually feeling a great and deep warming of the soul that in a sense changes our perspective to pursue God and God alone. That is what we're after. Spiritual consolation. Now notice, spiritual consolation is not the same as non-spiritual consolation. It's not an ice cream cone. It's not a kind word. It's not a funny joke. These are non-spiritual consolations. But remember as principle number eight, non-spiritual consolations can lead into and springboard into spiritual consolations. I want to describe an example of a non-spiritual consolation that happened at St. Therese of Lisieux that I think illustrates how that can springboard into A spiritual consolation. This is what she writes Descending the steps leading into the garden, she saw a little white hen under a tree, protecting her little chicks under her wings. Some were peeping out from under. Therese stopped, looking at them thoughtfully, and after a while, I made a sign that we should go inside. I noticed her eyes were filled with tears and I said, you're crying. She put her hand over her eyes and cried even more. I can't explain it. Just now, I'm too deeply touched. That evening in her cell, she told me the following and there was a heavenly expression on her face. I cried when I thought how God used this image in order to teach us his tenderness toward us. All through my life, This is what he has done for me. He has hidden me totally under his wings. Earlier in the day when I was leaving you, I was crying when I went going upstairs. I was unable to control myself any longer, and I hastened to our cell. My heart was overflowing with love and gratitude. That's why I can't stand Therese. I've never ever had this experience before where I've looked at chickens and and felt so moved. But it's beautiful, right? She looks at nature and her heart is moved. She looks at nature and her heart is plucked, and she she sees the work and glory of God in a couple of chickens kind of kind of housing each other. Incredible. But it was in that non-spiritual constellation that then springboarded her so easily into spiritual consolation. This is why she's such a great saint. and This is why she became so holy at such a young age. was because she was able to, to use these simple non-spiritual consolations as springboards into spiritual consolations. And so, notice the difference. The spiritual consolation is, is, a, very, is a very deeply, I hate no other word to phrase it, but a, but a deeply soulful experience. Ronald Knox, who was a convert, who was an Anglican priest, convert to Catholicism, this was his experience. This is by a, a biography, Evelyn Wash. He told a friend that in his first months as a Catholic, he received consolations. He needed and often ran to church in his impatience to begin his prayers. He looked forward to his meditations as periods of pure joy. And at St. Edmund's, it was his radiant devotion which most impressed his more discerning colleagues. Soulful experience, something that goes, that's deep within. It's, it's so much more than just a good grade on a test. It's so much more than a job well done. It's a deep stirring of the soul. And, that, and it sounds like a part of that was just because, simply became, because he came, became Catholic. So you see that. You see the non-spiritual consolation kind of springboarding into the spiritual consolation. And even though these experiences that we may have read maybe, maybe are unique to them, they shouldn't be extraordinary. These are all the ordinary ways in which God is looking to work in us. He's looking to fill our soul. He's looking to encourage us. He, he's looking to, to, to help us press on in the fight. And so that's what, that's what kind of brings us here. So that's, the, that's spiritual consolation. There's also some other, there's some other points that I like to point out in spiritual consolation. Let me see if I can pull this up. Sometimes what I've noticed, especially with some guys, is like, look, and they'll tell me this, especially whenever I was in seminary, we would be like, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm in consolation. Well, so let me rephrase that. I don't feel like I'm in consolation, but I don't feel like I'm in desolation. What is it? And the way to kind of look at that is just look, read a little bit deeper than the third rule. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity. Every increase of hope, faith, and charity. So an honest examination is, am I growing in hope, am I growing in faith, and am I growing in charity? Because if I'm not, eh, probably not in consolation, I'm probably in desolation. But if I am, even though I might not necessarily be feeling it, there's something there. There's a, there's a greater dimension there, and that might be consolation. So that's, a, that's something that I also want to point out that, that, that we often... That it, question i often get so that's spiritual consolation a very soulful experience where the soul is on fire for love of its creator the fourth rule the fourth rule is about spiritual desolation and let's read it i call desolation all the contrary of the third rule such as darkness of soul disturbance in it movement to things low and earthly the unquiet of different agitations and temptations, moving to one of confidence, without hope, without love, and when one finds oneself all lazy, tepid, and sad, as if separated from his creator and Lord, because as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. Lazy, tepid, and sad. This is spiritual desolation. And this is something I think we can all relate to. Lazy, tepid, and sad. Drawn to low and earthly things. This is a condition of affective heaviness that instills sadness and depletes energy of the living. It's the type of stuff that doesn't make us want to go to Mass. It's the type of stuff that doesn't make us want to pray. It's the type of stuff that just makes us want to kind of cuddle, cuddle up and just watch TV for a long period of time or just browse social media. If, con- if spiritual consolation is joyful, spiritual desolation is sad, and we're not talking about bodily sadness or bodily tiredness, psychological depression. We're talking about something that's deeply, deeply spiritual. That being said, non-spiritual desolation... Can be a springboard into spiritual desolation, and I have an example for that. Sorry for all the papers. This is a priest, Father Edmund, a priest of about forty. This is what he writes For me everything is heavy. It is only out of faithfulness to my priesthood that I can get up in the morning. I have to celebrate the Eucharist at 7.30 a.m., though celebrate is a pretty big word, and I have no desire to prepare a brief commentary on the day's gospel anymore. I feel like I'm at the bottom of a quagmire, and it's no good for me to pray. God doesn't answer my prayers. Nothing is going to change. I don't even feel like I trust God. I don't feel his presence anymore. Speaking of God's love to my parishioners seems like hypocrisy. That's desolation. That is sadness. That is deeply, deeply spiritual. I love the word, that he, how he describes, though I have to celebrate the Eucharist from 7.30 a.m., though celebrate is a pretty big word. Desolation is essentially this this desire, this, this lack of desire to pray, and there's something else to it. It's a movement toward low and earthly things. Low and earthly things. Father Timothy Gallagher describes it best, and he puts it in very simple, very stark, and very troubling terms. Persons in spiritual desolation, on the contrary, feel no attraction to prayer and to God's service but are drawn to lower and more earthly things, material comforts, gratification of the body in various ways, memories of such things from the past, immersion in empty trivia, diversion through the media, the internet, busyness, superficial conversation, and similar occupations. Pretty freaky, huh? Immersion in empty trivia, diversion through the media, the internet, busyness, superficial conversations, and similar occupations. I have a feeling, had he written this book a few years later, he would have included social media here. And what's interesting is how common is this? How often do we get home from a day's work and all we want to do is watch TV? How often do we get home from, you know, just, just, slugging it out and and we we get we get to we get and we just we want to just take a drink or we want to get on our computer or we want to do something that ultimately does not lead us any closer to god we're looking for low and earthly things to bring us consolation to medicate us in our sadness and i think that's interesting and i think that's a lot of people a lot of people experience that um for some reason as i'm reading this i'm 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 recalling I don't know if y'all remember this Do y'all remember Trivia Crack? Oh my gosh That was fun But like that is the perfect The perfect kind of game For a society in desolation Hey let me take all the useless junk That I've learned over the years And let me just channel it into this game That ultimately isn't really going to pay off But it's going to make me feel good Because I'm just beating my opponents I was actually pretty good at it for a little while But it's, it's, like, it's exactly what like, it's exactly it caters to this. It, it capitalizes on, on this spirit of desolation. And that's the thing. This stuff is so common. You don't have to be clinically depressed to be spiritually desolate. Everybody goes to this. This is okay, and it's fine. It's just a matter of recognizing it. It's just a matter of knowing that it's really there. The other thing, too, that I often get, and that I want to point out, was, is the, the problem of Mother Teresa. Everybody's like, well, Mother Teresa was desolate for 40 years. Like I said earlier yesterday, I don't think that's true. If we look at the if we look at what desolation actually is, I mean, lazy, tepid, and sad? Have you seen a picture of Mother Teresa? That was not a lazy, tepid, sad woman. Look at this. Drawn to moving to one of confidence, she stood up in front of Congress and basically condemned all of them. It was awesome. I mean, look, and what is, what, there's another one, like, yeah, movement toward low and earthly things. She was not one to be moved toward these things. She was very, very rigorous in her order and actually to not allow anybody to have low and earthly things to, to console them, but only allow Jesus to be their consolation. It's interesting, I was reading a, a book kind of about the missionaries of charity, and one of the things that, it was, it's, by, it's by a cardinal, and one of the things this cardinal pointed out is all the missionaries of charity ever ask for whenever they go into into their different towns or into their, into their cities is they just ask for mass. That's all they're going to ask for. And it's true. They only ask for mass. I, this is, okay, I'm going to tell you. If you want another story, I'll tell you later. I get, we're only on rule four, and we got to keep going. Okay. But there's a, lot, there's a lot of awesome stories about them just living off of the grace of God, and it's incredible. So those are the four rules. So, 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 these, so the first kind of rule one to rule four is just laying out the foundation alright, this is what this is what happens if you're going to hell, this is what happens if you're going to heaven, this is how the spirits work in this way, this is how the spirits work in this way, and this is what it looks like consolation, desolation this only applies to people in rule 2, consolation and desolation, rule 1 it's, it's the reverse, desolation is more you applied toward, toward, sort of kind of applied toward the Lord and consolation is applied toward the, the evil one hopefully, hopefully you guys are here because you don't want to be in rule 1 you want to be in rule 2 and we want to do something about the desolation that afflicts us. And that's what the next 5 to 14 rules are about. What do you do in desolation? How do you overthrow this stuff? Because the fact of the matter is, if you don't do anything about it, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And that's something from Father Timothy Gallagher. This is something you have got to go against. This is something you cannot let just, just eat you up. And the best way to start, and the the foundation and principle of acting against desolation is rule number five. The fifth rule. In a time of desolation, never make a change. Repeat after me. In a time of desolation. In a time of desolation. In a time of desolation. All right. Good. That's all I need to teach you guys. Seriously. If you do that, we're good to go. If you resolve to pray a rosary and you're going into, you know, you're going to the church. You're just like, oh, wait, I got that quiz I got to study for in five days. I should probably go do that. You know, no, that's desolation. That's the evil one. Never make a change. Okay. You made a decision in consolation. Keep going. Okay. If you're going to mass and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm I, I really need some more sleep. No. Never make a change. All right? Never, ever, ever make a change. Okay? And so here's what I'm talking about. These changes that are are applicable directly to your faith life. You know, prayer, mass, confessions. These things that affect your particular faith and your pursuit of God's will. Also, so that's the change that we're talking about. Change of things that apply to your faith. Proposals. Proposals are the things that you made prior to the desolation. The decisions that you made in a state of consolation. The resolve to go to confession. The resolve to pray a rosary. The resolve to go to a holy hour. The resolve to go to mass. These things that you made prior in a state of consolation. Now, let's be clear. This applies to spiritual desolation. Spiritual desolation. This does not apply to non-spiritual desolation. So, for instance, if, you are, if you're extremely depressed or if you feel ex- high anxiety, if you're in a relationship that's bad for you or if you're in a job that's making you miserable or if you're in a situation that is dragging you down and tearing you apart, rule five does not apply to that. Rule five is not about just grinning and bearing every little problem that you ever have. All right. Rule five is about handling spiritual desolation, and that can be hard to to discern. You're not just called to power through everything. You can actually drop, you know, do things like drop classes or quit jobs, or if you're, or in certain very, in certain circumstances, leave relationships. There's certain there that you do not have to muscle that out. That's not what rule five is talking about. This is purely applicable. To spiritual desolation. And this is the most important rule. In spiritual desolation, press on. And the best, I, I cannot believe I'm doing this. The best quote for this, the, the person who has this, this logic down pat, is Rodney Atkins. I don't know if y'all know who Rodney Atkins is, but he's a country singer. And he go and in his, and his favorite song, or is one of the most popular songs. I'm gonna sing it. All right, so just brace yourselves. If you're going through hell, keep on moving. Don't slow down. If the devil don't know it, you might get out before the devil even knows you're there. All right. Now you won't be able to forget it. All right, it sits in you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's that's why my country music career ended very quickly. All right. I'm um, So. Like, but that's it. If you're going through hell, keep moving. Don't slow down, all right? But that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to slow down. He wants you to chill out. He wants you to just hang out here, take your rest, prop your feet up, drink a beer, you know, this, that, and the other. And before you know it, you've missed your spiritual exercises, and boom, you're in desolation. You're in desolation. So if you're going through hell, just keep moving. Rule number five. So in a time of desolation... Yeah, keep moving. All right, Or, what's rule five? <laughs> never make a change. All right. In time of desolation, never make a change. All right. That would, I'll try that again next time. All right. So, in time of desolation, never make a change. All right. You keep going. All right. And keep moving. All that. So, that's the fifth rule. Now, here's my problem with the fifth rule. I don't have the best memory. All right, so I don't always remember what my proposal was before desolation, but that's why we have the sixth rule. The sixth rule for me, whenever I was on my thirty day, was the breadwinner, the money maker, everything. If I look, this—I mean, look—rule five is the most important rule, and I say that because Father Timothy Gallagher says that, and a lot of other spiritual wiser people than me advocate for that. I personally think rule six is the most important rule. Here we go. The sixth rule. Although in desolation we ought not to change our first resolutions, it is very helpful intensely to change ourselves against the same desolation, as by insisting more on prayer, meditation, on much examination. And by giving ourselves more scope in some suitable way of doing penance. If rule five is focused on what we can't change, which is our previous proposals, rule six is teaching us what we can change. And it's, the, it's ourselves in the state of desolation. You see, what's interesting about rule six is that very often whenever it comes to desolation... We have the tendency to just kind of sit in it and just kind of be like, all right, you know, I'm just going to muscle through this. I'm just going to, we're just going to get through this, whatever. I'm just going through a phase. I'm in a mood. I'm in this. I'm in that, whatever. But that's not a very proactive way to go about the spiritual life. We're not passive creatures here. We are active and we have the ability to fight the devil. That's the grace of our baptism. We can fight the enemy. And that's what rule six is all about is how you and I can fight and orient ourselves against the desolation. So it's kind of like a good way to look at it is we're playing football here. And the devil's coming and he's trying to tackle us. Either we can turn around and run the other way. And ultimately he's succeeded because we're, 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 we're actually headed the opposite way. Or we can just become a rag doll and we'll let him hit us. Or we can brace ourselves and possibly knock him down. In all reality, I think we're big, you're bigger than you think you are. You could easily knock him down. You just have to orient yourself against it. You have to orient yourself against the desolation. It can't be a matter of just taking it and just being a rag doll. You have got to endure it. And the way you, the first step to doing so, is to start noticing. Remember that that principle number. What is it? Principle number six. Notice, notice, notice. You've got to notice yourself. So there's two, there's your, there's, there's two different selfs at work here, if you will. There's yourself in desolation. And then there's yourself thinking about yourself in desolation. I know, right? All right. Think about yourself in desolation. Recognize, hold the phone. I'm in desolation. I've got to do something about this. I've got to change something up. I can't just sit here and be in a bad mood all day. I've got to fight this. And that's what Saint Ignatius encourages us to do. He gives us four ways in which you and I can fight it. But it's going to be a matter of, of, of stopping and reflecting on ourselves in desolation. Doing that noticing thing, doing that thing that we cannot, we cannot, that animals cannot do. And that is, think about our thoughts. And there's three ways in which we can, once we've thought about our thoughts, we realize we're in the state we're in, we can then put, come into action. So remember, awareness, understanding, action. And there are these three actions. Four actions, excuse me. Prayer. Petition the Lord. Lord, I'm in desolation. I need your help. I need you to help me me go. I need you to help me get through this this state. I need you to give me the courage. I need you to give me the strength. Lord, fill my heart. Lord, help me. That's the first one. Prayer. Especially the petition of prayer. Prayer going to the Lord, asking him for help. The next one, meditation. Meditation and prayer in this context are different. Meditation is about resting in God's love and recognizing that he's here to help you. He's here to give you peace. He's here to give you strength. Meditate that this reality that you're experiencing of desolation it's not real. It's not real. It's just the devil and his lies and his tricks and his treachery. It's not real. It's not, what is actually, it's not what actually sustains us. It's God's love that sustains us. So God's love is what we are called to meditate upon. The next one, examination. So most of the time, many a time, whenever we get into desolation, it's because we walked into that. Because so we walked into that trap. St. Ignatius did not have to think about that woman for four hours, but he did, and because of that he was left in desolation. Father Father Edmund, who was vulnerable to give us that example, was put in a state of desolation, but he perhaps maybe allowed himself to get into that point. He maybe quit praying. He maybe stopped doing his holy hour. He may have stopped doing his rosary. He may have spent too much time Goofing off and not enough time working. I don't know what it could have been. It's it, that's his his heart, not mine. But the point being is that there's something to examine there. What got me to this point? What got me to this area? And that's what's so key is we need to be examining our life. What does Socrates say? The the, exam, the non-examined life, the unexamined life, is not worth living. Right here, right here. The next one is a suitable penance. A suitable penance. Now I'll tell you, usually whenever it comes to desolation, the place where I experience desolation the most, if I'm being honest, is during my holy hour. I'm in there and I'm praying. And eventually I'm like, man, I've got to go hang out in the cafe. I've got kids I've got to minister to. I got people, I got to do spiritual action. I got, to, I got a parish mission, I got to go right. Oh man, what am I going to do? So like, all these thoughts are starting to come and think. And then eventually, if I don't stop them, and these distractions kind of persist, then it's like, oh, like agitation kind of sets in. And before I know it, I've, I've misstepped. Well, St. Ignatius has a great, great explanation on what to do here. And let me tell you, it is brutal. Here we go. We must remember that during the time of consolation is easy and requires only a slight effort to continue a whole hour in contemplation. But in a time of desolation, it is very, very difficult to do so. Hence, in order to fight against the desolation and conquer the temptation, the retreatant must always remain in the exercise that is, in the holy hour, a little more than a full hour. Thus, he will accustom himself not only to resist the enemy, but even to overthrow him. Essentially, at the moment whenever you want nothing more than to cut it short and leave right then and there and make up your holy hour later, stick around and not only finish the hour, but stay for another five minutes. Oh, it's so painful you have no idea you probably do have an idea but it's just it is by it is by far the, the most grueling penance i've ever it's like it's almost as bad as waking up at the first alarm without hitting snooze that one's that one's another bad one but it's it, but it's so crucial if you want to send the devil away power through it go through hell keep moving don't slow down all right and so that's a that's a suitable penance for instance or another instance like you know Let's say it is, if what's getting you into, after examination, what you discover is what's getting you into desolation is the internet or it is, you know, whatever. It is food or it is it is a little bit too much chatter. Then put on yourself a suitable penance. Don't, you know, refrain from chatter for the next hour or two. Refrain from the internet for a period of time. Refrain from from food for a period of time. So it's a matter of recognizing how you can overcome this through a suitable penance and basically imposing that upon yourself. So that's that's rule six, most important rule. Orient yourself against the desolation. You people are not doormats. You are fighters. You are winners. Act like it, all right? Orient yourself against the desolation. Fight it and never give up. Rule six. Rule number seven. Here we go. Excuse me. The seventh rule. Let him who is in desolation consider how the Lord has left him in trial and in his natural powers in order to resist the different agitations and temptations of the enemy since he can with the divine help which always remains to him though he does not clearly perceive it because the Lord has taken from him his great fervor Great love and intense grace, leaving him, however, grace enough for eternal salvation. If Rule 5 tells us what not to do, that is, change our first proposals, Rule 6 tells us what to do, Rule 7 tells us what to think. And that is to reconsider this desolation that we might be going through From God's perspective. Ask to borrow God's perspective. When we look at our struggle. When we look at our trials. Ask to see all of this difficulty. From his eyes. What we'll discover. Is that the suffering we're going through. Actually has a purpose. That there's generally a reason. For what we're experiencing. And that reason is generally to make us stronger people. Father Gallagher writes, when humbly and courageously resisted, spiritual desolation becomes a crucial spiritual lesson. Teaching hope and guiding the person towards spiritual maturity in ways that spiritual consolation could not accomplish. He describes this, so essentially desolation is a lesson, a lesson to be learned, a lesson that we can overcome even this dark time. We can, even, we can even continue to serve God even without fervor, something Mother Teresa teaches us very, very well. Essentially, it's like a father allowing his son to fall, allowing his son to, to in falling, grow stronger. In other words, in desolation, the enemy tries to get people to forget God, but Rule 7 encourages us to remember him. This is is something that the world doesn't always do. The world often, whenever it sees evil, tells us to abandon God because there's no way a God could exist that would permit such evil. But Rule 7 says, no, God does exist, but he's not a Zamboni parent. He doesn't just go clear the way for all of us all the time and make our lives easy. He allows us to fall he allows us to suffer and in doing so allows us to become stronger. Rule number 7. So think of so that's all about perspective, thinking about how God is working. The 8th rule. Let him who is in desolation labor to be in patience, which is contrary to the vexations which come to him. And let him think that he will soon be consoled, employing against the desolation the devices, as is said in the sixth rule. This, in my opinion, is the rule of the marathon runner. Many marathon, I mean, I, I've never run a marathon, I never will, that is crazy, alright? You know, <laughs> let me tell you about marathons. You know who ran, ran the first marathon? Five dipities. And he was running from Salamis to the town of Marathon, and in running that 26.3 miles, you know what happened to him after he was done? He died! (laughs) What the heck? Why would anybody want to do this? So, Marathon running, you are not getting my blessing for that. I might bless you out of compassion, but I'm not running with you. Alright, you can do that yourself. So anyway, Marathon runners often talk about a, a wall on about mile 19. And the, and the trick is just to continue hitting that wall. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's the same thing with the eighth rule. The eighth rule, labor to be in patience. Labor to be in patience, recognizing, look, it's going to end. Or let's just keep trudging through it. One of my favorite examples of the eighth rule lived out is by a Navy SEAL who was trying to get through basic underwater demolition school. So Basic Underwater Demolition School, for those who are unfamiliar, is, is pretty much the boot camp for SEALs. So you, you go in and you just go through this, these 12 grueling weeks that where 90% of people wash out and it's just a miserable experience all around. Well, anyway, there was this guy in their company during Basic Underwater Demolition School that while everybody was suffering running their marathons, you know, about to die, and he would scream can't believe you would do this. Hey, guys. And, you know, everybody would, they wouldn't say, yeah, what's up? Because they were way too tired to do that. But they'd start paying attention to him. He goes, guess what? I'm quitting. But not right now. I'm going to quit after breakfast. All right? I hear this. They serve a mean, mean egg casserole. All right? But I'm going to quit then. Don't you worry. If you want to quit after breakfast with me, you just let me know. And so, you know, so breakfast would come around. they eat breakfast. And then, you know, once they do their exercises, hey, guys, this is a pretty good egg casserole. I think I'm going to quit after lunch. Look, they I hear they're serving roast beef. Oh, man, I love me some roast beef. I'm going to quit after lunch. And so what he does is he just continually delayed his quitting until 12 weeks were up. He just continued to procrastinate, essentially doing something bad. I think that's a brilliant lesson. I don't know why we don't do this more often. Like, procrastinate evil. Don't procrastinate good, all right? Do your homework now. Procrastinate watching hours and hours of Netflix to another day. I mean... It be it it just is so much more satisfying whenever we procrastinate the things that actually deserve procrastinating, and versus procrastinating the good. And that's all rule eight is: It's just learn to be a procrastinator, except for do it for the right thing. And so that's the thing: is be patient, be patient. All right, it's going to end soon. The biggest lie of desolation is you're gonna you're gonna feel like this forever. I mean, look at Father Edmonds. What does he say? Let me let me get go back to that. I mean, it was so dramatic. Uh, speaking of God's love, whatever. Okay, maybe I may, maybe I misread that. Okay, so sorry. Anyway, there's some other example in this packet that basically explained I'll never ever get out of this desolation. I'm gonna be stuck in here forever. And so that's pretty much man what he was going through. It's just a, it's just a just seeing and and feeling that Satan is just pressing on him, and Satan's gonna lie to you and tell you there is no there's gonna be no end to that. And how you resist, you say. I'll quit after lunch. So the next one is the ninth rule. The ninth rule is actually a very good rule. So it's, 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 it's something that, that we need to put a, a little bit of time into. Um, also, oh sorry, there's, a, there's a, a part of rule eight that I forgot to mention. Um, this is important. Desolation is like a rainy day. It's just a rainy day. It's just part of the spiritual life. Sometimes you get them. Sometimes you don't. Don't freak out if they happen. Be patient. Keep fighting. Don't don't be too dramatic about it. All right, and that's what the rule eight is. It's just a recognizing this is the flow of the spiritual life. Sometimes you feel desolate, and what you, what do you do? You just keep moving. Rule number nine. Let me get there are three principal reasons why we find ourselves desolate. The first is because of our being tepid, lazy, and sad, or negligent in our spiritual exercises. And so through our own faults, spiritual consolation withdraws from us. The second, to try us and see how much we are and how much we let ourselves out in his service and praise without such great pay of consolation and great graces. The third, to give us true acquaintance and knowledge that we may interiorly feel that is not ours to get or to keep great devotion, intense love, tears, or any other spiritual consolation, but that all is the gift and grace of God our Lord, and that we may not build a nest in a thing that is not ours, raising our intellect into some pride or vain glory, attributing to us devotion or other things of the spiritual consolation. Essentially, What he's basically saying is is there's three, what he is saying, there's three different reasons for desolation. The first one is a consequence for our negligence. The second one is a test of our devotion. And the third one is a simple reminder that consolation is not earned, it is a gift. It is the supreme, and that, that third reason, that consolation is not earned, that it is a gift, is our greatest protection against the capital sin of pride. Capital sin of pride. Because in in knowing that, that this is all gift, that this is not earned, it helps us to recognize that it's all about the Lord. It's not about ourselves. So, what is the purpose of these? Father Gallagher makes a good point. He says that if we experience desolation because of our faults, what God is calling us to is conversion. If we experience desolation as a trial, what God is calling us to, or the fruit of that, is learning. And whenever we learn, or experience desolation to learn that consolation is a gift, God is giving us humility. God wants us to acquire humility. So, the first one, conversion... The second one, learning. The third one, humility. All right, I got three minutes left. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all of them in three minutes. All right. So rule 10. Consolation is a time for preparation. That's basically, that's what I have down, so let me pull out that one. The 10th. Let him who is in consolation think how he will be in desolation which will come after taking new strength for them. Let him who is in consolation think how he will be in desolation which will come after taking new strength for them. There's two rules that I think about whenever I, I think about this. Two, thing, two stories whenever I think about whenever, whenever this passage comes up. One is a personal story which isn't as applicable as the second story. So back whenever I was a kid, we, well, so, uh, not we, Well, our neighborhood, a neighbor of ours got a ghillie suit. Maybe y'all have heard this story before. But a ghillie suit, for those who are unfamiliar with this, is the suit that snipers wear to kind of cover up and break up their pattern so they can hide in bushes and, 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 and trees and things like that and not be seen. It's a very handy tool in order to, to, to be hidden. He got it for turkey hunting, and so what we discovered is that a very fun game is to go and hide in a bush or in a tree in 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 their garden, not our but their garden around the house, and have all of our brothers walk around and then just scare the heck out of them. It was a blast. And so eventually, what I learned whenever I was it was, it was a game called Scare. Them. What I learned is all you had to do to scare somebody was just go and hide behind a corner easy right so like look you're hiding behind the corner and all of a sudden you hear my brother steven who's not a quiet person by any means <laughs> we take after each other <laughs> so we so I'm, you know just listen to him and as soon as you can hear him get near the corner all you got to do is jump out and scare him it's easy as can be easy peasy because he wasn't paying attention and, you know, they would always scare themselves, and, you know, they'd have to get the pins. It was awesome, all right? And so it was, so we, we just had a blast just absolutely wrecking each other. Well, eventually we realized that, that the way to avoid being, being scared is to instead of taking your corners sharply, you take them at a wider angle so you see what's behind the corner. It's the same thing for consolation and desolation. Whenever we're in consolation, it can be very easy for us to be like, I've made it! I am a free man. I am close to Jesus. I'm invincible. And what that ends up happening is we end up losing the fact that we're on a journey and the devil is constantly looking to play on our confidence, play on our strength. And what we can end up doing is forgetting that we might be walking into a vulnerable spot, spot walk out, and then get scared by your brother in a ghillie suit. All right? It's the same thing with, with desolation. Desolation is constantly tri- just triumphs on the element of surprise. The element of surprise. Father Gallagher uses probably a more appropriate rule. He says whenever you're riding in a trolley car, you're in the trolley car, and you can, if you're not paying attention, and if you're just talking and you're not, and you're not really watching the road what can end up happening is the trolley car can take a turn, and if you're not paying attention, you can go with that turn, fall over, and the rest of your day is ruined. You're, and all of a sudden, like you know, you're falling down, you're mad, you're this, that, and the other, which is exactly how Satan loves to work. He loves to just trip us up and just kind of make fun of us throughout the rest of the day. Oh man, you're a loser, you're an idiot. You know, this, that, and the other. And just kind of like get down on us for, th- for, for one little thing. But, if you're being aware... And you're living the discerning life, you see the turn coming, and instead of just like lollygagging, you grab the rope that all trolley cars have, endure, endure the turn, there might be a little swaying, but you're not falling over, and then you, then the trolley car goes straight and you're good to go. And that's how we need to think in terms of consolation and desolation. We're in, when we're in consolation, it's not a time to just simply puff ourselves up and be all proud and feel invincible. Whenever we're in consolation, it's a time to recover, get our bearings, and plan for the next attack. Plan for the next fight. And the best way, in my opinion, to plan is to do a good examination and to see where your corners are. To go back to the ghillie suit analogy. Your corners are going to be where you're going to be most weak. The corners are going to be the places where the devil's going to try and scare you, where he's going to try and trip you up, where he's going to try and overthrow you. And you've got to be aware of where those are so you can take those turns widely. So that you can, you can see that problem coming and you can take that into account. You can kind of diffuse the issue. It's the same thing with the trolley car. You need to be aware of where the turn might be so you can grab the handle. And Father Gallagher gives us seven ways in which we can kind of do that to kind of take new strength. The first one is a prayer of, medit- of petition for strength in future desolation. So prayer of petition for strength in future desolation. That's kind of what the, uh, with this, that's rule six. Number two is also from rule six, meditation on truths that will sustain in spiritual desolation. So truths, meditation on truths. Number three is consideration of the value of spiritual desolation. Consideration of the value of spiritual desolation for growth—that's the value of it. So you can—it's not just good enough itself; it's good so we can grow. Number four: reflection on past personal growth through spiritual desolation. Reflection on past personal growth through spiritual desolation. Number five, resolution to make no changes in time of spiritual desolation. Resolution to make no changes in time of spiritual desolation. Six, review these Ignatian rules. That's going to be very important. And seven, and this is the trolley car ghillie suit rule, planning for specific situations of spiritual desolation. Planning for specific situations of spiritual desolation. That's rule 10. It is 8.05. Please forgive me for going over. I always had this problem whenever I taught a college class. I would always go over and forget breaks and things like that. So don't worry, tomorrow we'll, we will, we should be in within the hour, but we will go over the next four rules and we will go over the practicalities of. Ignatian discernment and the practicalities of how you can make decisions and how you can kind of grow in the Lord and finding yourself in a place where you can be found. Please stand. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.